I want to talk to us this morning, continue speaking to us this morning about accelerating Christ, accelerating the church. It's a year of supernatural acceleration. And like I said to us in the first week, we started speaking to each other. I said to you, I believe we shouldn't be intentional to only pray prayers of accelerate things to me, Lord, but rather accelerate things through me. And Christ is our message. Bump your neighbor your left hand side, say Christ is our message. You see, Christ is our message, and sometimes when we preach the message of Christ, we sometimes can sort of get a bit uh, betwixt and between about what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. But you see, Christ is our message, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a message of change. Religion will teach you have to change yourself to be accepted by God. But the gospel ultimately is a message of exchange. We have to preach a message that God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a message of what Christ has already done for us. And when we put our faith in that saving grace of Jesus Christ, the Bible said we will naturally change. Because how do you maybe know you can try, it's like January, we have that good intention of trying to lose weight. It's like trying to lose sin. You try to lose sin and when you walk past the fridge, you eat that ice cream and you go back to start. And sometimes when you preach a message of change only, and let me tell you, you will change. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of exchange. It's what He has already done for us. When we come to church, we don't come to church because we are full of sin and we're trying to get better. We come to church to say thank you like the words of that song because Christ is our message. And so when we go into a lost and a dying world and we take Christ and we accelerate Christ in our world, we, we must not try and get people to change themselves. We must tell them about the great exchange that Christ did for us. And when we put people's faith in the great exchange, they will naturally start to change. Can you say amen this morning? So the church is our vehicle. Christ is our message and the church is our vehicle. And community is the engine that powers the vehicle. I want to talk to us a little bit this morning about accelerating community. Because we call to accelerate Christ, Jesus, the message. We call to accelerate His church, which is the ecclesia, the called out ones, you and I. We are living stones and God uses us. It's not just the four walls of a Sunday morning service that makes us the church. We are living stones and God sends us into a dying world as living stones to go and uh, impact and change our communities, change the places where we find ourselves predominantly in the week. Every one of us thrive and survive on different communities. I saw all the different parents saying that they're so glad, well, grade one, grade R, grade this, grade that. And I almost got a bit of a twist in my stomach when I thought about the days when my kids used to go to school and that season is over. But it's a great season when you're a parent of young children to go through that process. And hey, uh, congratulations to all the matrics that did so well in all their results. I realized again that some of you have got more brains than me. But I've also got a PhD, by the way. I passed, passed high school with difficulty. So I also have a qualification. And I was doing great well. And to those of you who got distinctions and all kinds of things, it's excellent to see how well you've studied. But when we go to school, we've become part of a community. It's a place you can reach. We reached many people when our kids were at school. And we can't do church outside of understanding the power of community. Galatians 6 verse 9, the Bible said, So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all. So the Bible says as a Christian, we are called to work for the benefit of all, not just those in the church, but every single human being, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. So the Bible says we have to work hard to understand the importance of community. The Bible says we should not grow weary while doing good for the community of faith. 
We should understand the importance of community. We have to accelerate community. Can you say amen this morning? And community speaks of relationship. It speaks of communion. It speaks of fellowship amongst the community of faith. And by building relationships with non-believers and inviting non-believers into our communities. You see, the church is not a closed user group for saved people judging non-saved people. No, the church is a place of community. The church is a place where everyone and anyone is welcome. So I want to say to you this morning, you are welcome here in this church every day of your life. Turn to the person next to you and tell the person next to you, you are welcome here. Tell the person on the other side, you are welcome here. But pastor, I'm a sinner. Well, welcome. You're welcome. Sit amongst us. We're all sinners in this place because we all fall short and we all are saved by the grace of God. You see, we're not trying to become a perfect person. We're looking to the one who is perfect. Amen. We serve Jesus Christ. But we have to understand the power of community. You see, Christian community is not a closed user group, like I said, but a group that anyone is welcome. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, not your world, not my world, but the world. And He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. So why are you condemning yourself this morning if God did not send Christ to condemn you? Why are you allowing the enemy to condemn you? Why are you allowing your setbacks and your failures and your, your mistakes define you this morning? Because I want to tell you this morning that your circumstance is not your destiny. I want to tell you this morning that your, your future is bright and your future is great. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you. And don't, uh, even less than that, don't allow religion to lie to you even more. To say you have to work hard to become a better person. No, let me tell you, you'll work hard all the days of your life and you'll still never measure up to the perfection of Christ. Yes, the Bible says we strive to read the Word. We strive to have the mind of Christ. But every time you look, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the Bible says as we look to Him like in a mirror, we'll become better in ourselves. Amen. Because we're looking to the one who is perfect. We're not trying to be perfect because we never can be perfect. And the minute we feel we're not worthy, it's like that diet I said earlier. When you're trying to lose sin, when you're trying to lose weight, the minute you veer off the set path, the set rules of what you should and shouldn't eat, you feel guilty. Then you anyway end up eating the whole two liter ice cream because you thought, what's the point? Amen. So we find many Christians trying to come to church and they're trying to lose sin. No, you can't lose sin. Amen. It's going to define you all the days of your life. Why? Because Adam is in us, the nature of Adam. But the last Adam, Christ, has now come. And the Bible says as we put our faith in Him and we look to Him, the Bible says we'll move away from a lifestyle of sin and we'll walk towards the one who is perfect. Amen. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But in the world you'll feel condemned. In a set of rules you'll feel condemned. With a set of regulations you'll feel condemned. You may, you may not. I want to say to you this morning, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. To be everything God has called you to be. Come on. Give Him a shout of praise all over this place this morning. You see that word community in the Greek? It means koinotita in Greek. A derivative of the word community is communion. When we have communion, koinonia. When we speak about koinonia in a physical sense, it speaks of sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. Koinonia, intimacy. The most vulnerable place any two humans can be is when they give themselves to each other physically. But the Bible also speaks about a spiritual koinonia, which is what intimacy between God and man. God's greatest desire this morning is to have intimacy with every human being. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that if you put your faith in God, in Christ, in His sacrifice on Calvary, the Bible says we are able. The middle wall of separation that Adam's sin placed between God and man, 
The Bible said Christ came to break down that wall, not remove a brick or two or knock a hole in it. The Bible said he's come to remove the whole wall. There is now free access to Christ every day of your life. Amen. It's koinonia. It's intimacy. It's communion. When Christ, before he left the earth at the Last Supper, he had communion with his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body. Take, drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. It's a vulnerable place. You know if you meet somebody in church this morning for the first time, you're not just going to be comfortable to sit around someone with a meal. That's why the whole process of confession with your mouth, uh, a meal, and then the blood sacrifice, which the, the, the way in which we do communion, it speaks of this building of a relationship through communion. Jesus was, he had he'd built a friendship with his disciples. I don't lo, no longer call you slaves or servants. I now call you friends. And I can have communion with you. And if you don't understand the power and the need for communion in your Christian walk, you are going to stagnate in your Christian journey. It's important that we have communion. You should have a group of friends that you're comfortable with to have a meal with, where you can share your, your vulnerability, where you can share your, 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 your battles, and you can feel it's a safe place. That's why the church is a place of community. Can you say amen? It's a place of communion. And relationally, it speaks of the openness and friendship between believers, like our home cells or our different ministries we have in the church. It's important you understand the power of community. Even going to a restaurant to have a meal, when you celebrate a birthday and some of your friends go and have a meal with you, it all forms part of community. And we have to accelerate community like never before, I believe. We have to encourage people to come out of their homes, ecclesia, called out into a public place, and we have to rub shoulders with other human beings. It's how you grow. It's how people see your blind spots. It's how people help you to see things you've never seen. It's where people share their testimonies and you grow in your faith. It's where we lay hands on each other and we can mature in our faith. It's a place of community. And it's a place where we have fun. Amen. Where we have Cinnabons at the mall. And you know that if you have a Cinnabon, the sin sits in your bum. Amen. So be careful how many Cinnabons you have. I say that because my daughter made them this weekend and forced me by gunpoint to have one. I said, no. She said, you will. So I had to try it, and it was delightful. Amen. <laughs> and then I felt guilty because the law came on me, the law of eating healthy. It's like Christians. They make one mistake to the left, and they're guilty. I must do seven this and six that and four this and three that to earn. No, let me tell you, it is finished. It is finished. No longer. Your good deeds are a filthy rag before him. It is finished. You can try your best, best, best. And again, when you get to the 99.9 point of your best, it's still not going to be good enough because He is good enough. Amen. He's the perfect sacrifice. Can you say amen? But a third derivative from that word community is the word fellowship. It speaks of, the Greek meaning is metoke. It's made up of two words, amazingly. It's made up of the word meta, M-E-T-A, and it's made up of the word echo. Meta means to accompany or to be in the midst of or to be among. And the word echo is an alternative form. So when your voice echoes, although it sounds like you, it's an alternative form of your voice that's returning to you. It's an echo. And so the Bible says that fellowship is a place where we, we, we uh, commune or we are amongst people of an alternative form of relationships. You have your intimate relationship with your wife or your husband if you're married. You have certain close relationships. But when we have fellowship, we are amidst and we are amongst fellow believers where we grow and mature. And we have to accelerate that this year. I believe that like, like never before. I see people are, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. When you are alone, you can take some time out and spend some time by yourself. Go for a walk and pray and whatever you want to do. That's being alone. 
But there are many people that are lonely. They've got no close friendships. They're amongst a big group of people, but they feel like they're all by themselves. Why? Because we don't understand the power of community, the power of communion, the power where I can be vulnerable, where I can share with, talk, speak to someone. Because there's nothing more liberating than being able to share and just, just speak your heart to someone and get that off your chest. And it feels like a weight that's off your shoulders. Amen. And I say this to us because we have to create more of these places of community. But it's amazing to think that word meter, one of our prominent social media platforms that we're streaming on this morning, and for the sake of not mentioning names, otherwise they block us again, uh, they changed their name recently to meter. So we think it's a great, clever, uh, economic name. But actually, it's a Bible name, meter. Metoke, it means fellowship. And they are uh, integral in creating what we call the metaverse. It's a place of of animated, uh, uh, animated fantasy. It's a place where they encourage you to put your virtual reality goggles on and go into this place of virtual reality, of, of a fake, false fantasy world. I don't criticize it saying it's wrong. I say it's what the, the world is busy projecting as the new form of community. And they say, come out of the metaverse. And sadly, we've got many Christians who don't even read a scripture verse, but they go to the metaverse. I mean, I'm not sure how that works, but they do these things. Now, I've seen, so I've never put that on, actually. Maybe I should try it. But I've seen on, on social media, some of these guys, they put these goggles on, and they run into the door, and they run into the wall, and they scream, because it's so real. I've often told you, whenever you're watching a scary movie, and uh, you're all by yourself, I mean, three o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was shining, and everything was fine. That evening, you're watching a scary movie, and suddenly you put your feet up off your couch. What's changed? Your mind is telling you, perhaps, there's a threat in the area. That's the power of the mind. That's the power of, of fantasy. And I'm, I'm very pro dreaming and believing and seeing things that are not. I'm pro that. But what we have to be careful of is that we don't start trading off or replacing virtual community for physical community. And we have to be careful that we don't allow our children to become socially awkward. They don't know how to speak to people because all we allow them all day is to be in this virtual reality, fake, false world. And psychology is now showing statistics saying that the, 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 the reality of the fact is these organizations that are creating these fantasy worlds, people are moving more towards them because they don't then have to deal with their reality. They don't have to pay their water and lights. They don't have to actually deal with their spouse or their kids because if they don't like what they see, they can push a button and walk away from it. And it's a false form of, of a real world. And the Bible says, God says that we have to ensure that meto okay. We are in fellowship with fellow believers. That's how we grow. That's how we are, are going to form and forge. And I want to encourage you. Again, I don't criticize because we're all part of this world. My children are through that phase of school where pa parents are going into a world now where their kids are in grade one to, to matric or grade 12. Uh, and I understand the battle is different from the times when I was at school or my kids were at school. So I can't say I know everything or I, I can say you must or you mustn't do this because I, my kids aren't at school at the moment. But I can just look at what's around uh, me and I can hear and I can study and I can learn and I can see. And I would like to suggest to parents to not allow their children to get lost in this, this world of false reality or a fantasy world. When they actually become adults, they struggle to deal with reality of real life. And they're socially awkward. They don't know how to speak to a girl or to a guy. And I say to you, get your kids exposed into places of extramural activities. If you're homeschooling your kids, make sure that they go to extramural activities where there's actually human beings there. Why? Because what happens is the thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will steal, kill, and destroy sometimes your faith. 
Sometimes, because what's also happening around the world now, there's a new movement emerging called the victimhood movement. The more you play the victim, the more attention you get. And so people start to become victims in everything, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. The Bible says we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. You see, Christ is our message. And if we change the message for a method, or we get confused that we think the method is now a new message, we start to lose the message of Christ. So we can have all these new methods, and I'm pro them. You know me. I'm the internet pastor. I'm the technology pastor. I love seeing the future. I'm a futurist. I'm for it. But if you've got healthy relationships in a healthy community where you're in a home cell and you guys decide to have a metaverse home cell, I'm for that because it might just be practically viable for that Wednesday. I'm for that. But you can't live a life where there's no human contact at all. We start to live in this false world of fantasy. I mean, the new thing now is having a fantasy girlfriend or a fantasy wife. Imagine that, husbands. She doesn't speak back. She has no needs other than what I control. And it's, we laugh at it, but it's true. You can change the color of her hair. You can put the physique there that you like. You can, you can put the, the body shape you like. And the minute you don't like it, well, let me change this woman. I mean, the, she can speak to you. She can communicate. She can do all kinds of things through this fantasy world. But when you actually take the goggles off, she's standing looking at you saying, hey, go mow the lawn. And we don't like that part. Then we say, I want to get, nah, I want out. Because we can't deal with the reality of what the Bible says. That Christ, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Now I say this to us because there's no perfect person here. So whatever your circumstance are, don't think that I'm saying that you should have a perfect marriage, you should have a perfect life. What I'm saying to you this morning is that we should be careful that as we start to move into the next 10, 10, 15 years, as things evolve around us, as things become the way of life, the cultural norm, we must be careful we don't start to compromise physical community for virtual fantasy. We should stay in touch with each other's needs. You know, they did a survey in, in 1980, and they asked people in 1980, they said, if you had to turn to somebody right now, and in a time of crisis, in a time when you need somebody to help you out, whatever it might be, case of sickness or death or financial battles or relationship battles, how many people do you believe would come to your aid if you pushed on their button now? 1980. And the statistic came back as 9.8 people. So let's call it 10 people. And that, in the 80s, people felt they could at least call on 10 people who they knew they could have their back. They did the same survey in 2019, asked the same question. And amazingly, the answer came back. It's now currently at 1.2 people that people think that they can lean on in times of crisis. Yet, if you look at your world, your followers and your friends on social media, you've got 5,000 of this and 12,000 of that. Yet, if it comes to a personal, physical, natural challenge, our numbers have dwindled from 10 to 1. And why? Because we've moved away from the, the power of community. Now, I want to say to us this morning, challenge us. Don't think home cell is a burden. Don't think business cell is a burden. Don't think women's ministry is a burden. Don't think that church on a Sunday is a burden. This can't be your only form of community in the week with fellow believers. It can't. 
If you go to gym in the week, go to gym and build a community at gym. The things you love, the passion you love. If you're a cyclist, if you whatever you do, go and build a community and invite unbelievers into your community with fellow believers and preach Christ to them. Demonstrate Christ to them and lead them into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then invite them to church and teach them how to serve Christ and disciple them in the things of God and watch the church will keep growing. But the minute we move into this false reality of, the, of a virtual fantasy, it's a fake world. And I say to every young man out here today, don't fool yourself in thinking that the girl you see on Instagram is going to look like that in the natural. They don't. And we have this young generation who are rating girls on a scale of 1 to 10 because they've got these on Tinder and all these things, swipe up and swipe left and swipe right. I don't use these things because I'm married. But I hear that you can do all these things. And I don't criticize it again. 15% of all marriages last year in America came from social media. So it's not all evil. Maybe there's some good people you might meet. I'm saying to you this morning as well, is we must be careful we don't start seeing people through a filtered picture of fantasy because what you're seeing on social media when you watch it is a fantasy because that reality has moved on. When the person posted that photograph or that girl posted the photograph of herself in a bikini in December, we're now in January, that picture is a fantasy. It's moved. Her circumstances have changed. And when you, when you, if you ever do uh, end up meeting her or maybe dating her or maybe marrying her, she wakes up with no makeup on. They don't look like that. And then you go, ah. And what makes you so special, Rambo? What makes you so special? Your boskas is hankas geworden. You know a boopens. Track your magen. How often do you go to gym? How much do you sacrifice your physical food for your wife? Do you look like a six-pack ripped with all kinds of... No, we don't, but we expect the woman to be this fantasy picture on a social media platform. And I say, don't be fooled. You get to know girls through, through home sales. You get to see the real you. We can't fall in love with what a picture in our head. We have to fall in love with the real person. And we have to get to know the real person. What did Paul the Apostle say? Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him. How? In the fellowship of his sufferings. And in the power of his resurrection. So if you should suffer, I want to understand how you suffered. And when you suffer and I suffer, I don't become a victim. And say everyone's against me because Christ never became a victim. Because he knew. He said, I do nothing unless I hear it from my father. He spent time in prayer. We spend time on social media. And the minute we go through battle, we play the victim card. And it's this whole new movement starting the victimhood movement. Don't become part of it. Don't start feeling sorry for yourself and posting all of your tragic stories. I saw a tragic thing this week on social media where a couple posted on social media that we're so sorry to, to announce that our daughter has lost her battle with depression. And then the parents posted the letter that the 16-year-old girl posted. Mommy, Daddy, I'm so sorry that I have to do this to you. I love you so much. Keep the, she wrote this very heartfelt message, and the parents posted the message. And the girl committed suicide. She died. They, they buried her last week. And I say this, I've got mixed feelings about that. Because I think to myself, what parent would actually post those personal things on social media? Because are you looking for attention? Or you are you playing the victim card? I don't criticize. I observe. And I say sometimes we get attention from putting those things on social media. Because why didn't we try and find a solution to a depression? Now listen. Christ, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor so the poverty-stricken, should their lives should improve through the, through the message of Christ. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So yes, that family, we would reach out to them right now if they were in our church or we knew them and we'd heal their broken hearts. We wouldn't condemn them. We'd walk with them. But then he goes on to say, to set the captives free. So we can't say she lost her battle against depression, although you might be depressed. You might feel the symptoms of depression. I told us two weeks ago. You have a sound mind and you are fighting off depression. We don't give depression the victory or we don't give depression the attention it doesn't need. Because Christ is our message. Amen. So if you are here this morning and you might be diagnosed with depression, amen, I say to you this morning, there is victory. You are able to overcome that through Christ. Oh yes, I'm for psychology, I'm for psychiatry, I'm for counsel. But the Bible says we serve the great counselor. The Bible says the government shall be on his shoulders. The Bible said he carried every sin upon his shoulders. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was condemned. He was judged. And the Bible, Jesus said, remember if they hate you, remember they first hated me. We have to move past the victimhood mindset and grab hold of the Christ message. How? Through community. So if I see you at church or I see you at home cell and I can see you not you, yourself, I can say, hey, what's up? I see you not yourself. Now I'm going through this battle. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and we're going to lift that spirit of depression. And you say, but it's come back again. Well, we're going to pray again until the morning star rises in your heart. And now you testify, not about your depression, but you testify about what Christ did to overcome your depression. Because Christ is our message. Are you here this morning? Jesus was very outspoken and deliberate about accelerating community. Luke 19 verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus was passing through Jericho. A man named Zacchaeus, one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and of course a very rich man. So Christ reached rich people. He preached a whole sermon on a woman who gave two mites out of her poverty. Christ is for everyone. He doesn't condemn he hasn't got an exclusive club. He doesn't, you don't fly business class to heaven or economy class. You go, you go to heaven one way, through bowing your knee to Christ. And the Bible says that if you don't bow your knee to Christ on this earth, when you want to check in for your flight, it's going to say, sorry, the terminal is now closed. And you will now have to stay here or stay there. You're not going to go there. And we can't, we don't go in business class. We don't go platinum and VIP, which I'm not against all these things on the earth. But sometimes we think Christ is a respecter of people. No, he's not. The Bible said, for God so loved the world. So he reaches out to this man. The Bible says, and of course, a very rich man, verse 3. And he tried to get a look at Jesus. Listen, every human being is trying to get a look at Jesus. He just doesn't know it yet. So until he doesn't hear the gospel message through you and me, you'll take a look at drugs, you'll take a look at sex, you'll take a look at porn, you'll take a look at success, you'll take a look at assets, you'll take a look at money, you'll take a look at all kinds of things until he can't, until you show him Christ and he can take a look at Christ. And how does he take a look at Christ? Through you and through me, living stones. You're different you. You're a different person. I've told you before, I got a business deal once when I wasn't, I didn't have all the credentials of what at that stage was required to get tenders and to get business from government. And I got a call one day from the CFO of the, the Northern Cape Premier's office and they said, Aiden, we've looked at everybody and all these, he says, their deals are much better than yours. And he says, but you're a different man, you, was his words to me. And I said, yes, I am. I am different. I'm not, you, you want to judge me here 
or on a piece of paper, but Christ is in my heart. They couldn't picture it. And for some reason, they couldn't understand why, but they felt they wanted to give me the business. It's called the anointing and the favor of God. And I say this to us because we can be so politically correct and so, you know, uh, administratively in line and all these things when it comes to being compliant with the world's standards. But God can put a coin in a fish's mouth to get you to your destiny. God can make a donkey speak to get you to your destiny. It just depends how ashamed or unashamed you are of him in the marketplace. And he says, if you are ashamed of him before man, he says, you will have to turn his back on you before God because he says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But I, I must understand what the gospel is. It's not a message for me to go and judge people. I'm not the great savior now telling you how and how not to. I'm here to tell you about Christ. And I'm here not to tell you that you must change. I want to tell you about the great exchange. And if you'll believe in the great exchange, you will change. It's a liberating message. Because the law says what? You must. He says, no, I must first bury my father. I'm, he says, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What Christ did for us. And then I'll add all these things. So if you're trying to change yourself, I want to say to you, maybe change your economic status through reading a book, I'm for that. Changing your education status through getting a degree, I'm for that. But you can't change your heavenly status through your good works. You can't. It is His finished work on Calvary. I mean, are you getting something this morning? I believe some people need to let those weights and those shackles fall off. You, you tried, you made a commitment to Lord, the Lord on the 1st of January. I will, I will. And he said, but why are you willing, willing? I already have done. Why do you think this is a different year from last year? I come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Why do you think there's seven lean and seven fat in the days of Joseph? This is the acceptable year of the Lord. Every year is acceptable. Why? Because it is finished. But Lord, no, no, don't bully God Christian me. Don't butt me. Don't knock, the, don't knock the truth of the gospel out of the way because you haven't got a full understanding. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And as you look to me, you'll change. As you read the word, you'll look into a mirror and you'll see me and not yourself. And as you look and you see me, you'll change. Your habits will change. Your words will change. Your attitudes will change. Your perspective of other people will change. They must first change. My wife must first change. Why don't you look to Christ and you change and your wife will love you more. You'll start to serve your wife. You'll start to love your wife differently. Can you say amen? Pastor, it sounds like you guys have got a perfect marriage. No, we haven't. That's why I preach this. Because I have to work hard sometimes at trying to be a better husband. But if, I, if my wife puts all these laws on me to change me first, she's putting me under the law. And the Bible says what the law cannot do. Because when, when Christ found that woman caught in adultery, she had all the laws. She had all the understanding. She knew everything she wasn't supposed to do and she still did it. And the Bible says when he caught her in that position, that the, the legalistic tax collector said stone her. Which is what our human nature is. When somebody makes a mistake, stone them. Kill them. And when you make a mistake, no, Lord, grace, grace, grace. Why are we like that? We don't have a full understanding of what he did for us. And we can look at that over the next few weeks. So yeah, this morning. So he said he tried to get a look at Jesus in closing this morning, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So to all short people, there is hope. Christ sees you. Amen. Spiritually. So he ran ahead. And climbed into a sycamore. I don't know why I said that. I just said, there's not a, please, don't know. It's, it's a. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree besides the road and to watch from there. And when Jesus came by, because Jesus will come by everyone's life. He comes past everyone's life at some point. Through you, at the gym, here, on, online, 
somewhere Christ will, you'll encounter Christ. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. <laughs> you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I called you. This morning, God is speaking to you in your heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart. As I speak this morning, don't shut your heart to him this morning. He said, Zacchaeus. He said, Paul, Jack, Mary, and Tabi Singh. He said, what, Mpo, Tabu, Cyril, Julius, Jacob, Pravin. He said, quick, come down. For I'm giving, going to be a guest in your home today. The greatest desire God has is to be a guest in your physical body, your home, and in your, your physical house, where peace resides in your house, where blessing resides, where the Spirit of God resides, because when you walk in there, the presence of God walks in there because He's in you. Verse 6, Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. <laughs> it's so religious. When Christ starts to speak to people that we might judge or we might put into a category of what we think is acceptable before God, he'll, 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 he'll astound you by talking to the person you least expected. Because everyone is welcome in Christ's party. To be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on I will give half of my wealth to the poor. So we start to see transformation. We start to see salvation. We start to see purpose. And if I find I've overcharged anyone in Texas before he was corrupt, and now the gospel is starting to change his mind, to become a man of integrity, to become a man of his word. He said, I will penalize myself by giving back four times as much. So he said, I'll take responsibility. I won't be like I used to be because you've changed me, Jesus. I'm in your presence. In verse 10, and Jesus told him, this shows that salvation has come to this home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham, and I, the Messiah, have come to search for and to save such souls as his. I want to tell you this morning, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how low you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself this morning, I want to say to you, if Christ was physically on this earth, he'd come to your house. He'd come and look for you. If you're up in a tree or you're down there in the ditch, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, if you feel you can't keep up, if you feel you can't carry on, no matter where you are this morning, I want to say to you this morning that Christ will come and look for you. And no matter what your family have said, no matter what people have said, no matter how many times you've tried to fix yourself, no matter how many times you've judged yourself, no matter how many times you've tried in your own human attempt to be a better person, I want to say to you, allow Christ this morning to take his rightful place in your heart and put your faith in the great exchange. And when you look at Zacchaeus, he said, Lord, I was a corrupt tax collector. Now I'm going to take my influence, my wealth, my money, and I'm going to start to use it for purpose. I'm going to start to live a life outside of myself. It's through community. He associates salvation with community. He came to his house. He came to his business. Peter and Andrew, they gave Jesus their boat. And they, they allowed Jesus to preach from their boat. They gave him the, the, which was their business. And when you allow Christ to become part of your business, when you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in the week on a Monday morning, Jesus, who do you want me to reach for you this week through my business? When you start to have that mindset, God starts to give you business deals you did not even sign. I'm testament of that. I've seen it in my own life, where, I will, where I, I've, been, I've been given deals that I did not even sign, and God supernaturally gave them to me, because we're talking about supernatural acceleration. But if we don't have the order right in the sense of seeking first 
Christ's message and His righteousness, then He adds, not our, us trying to become righteous by ourselves. You must shift that in your head this morning. Amen. Am I talking to somebody today? And I want to say to you this morning, no matter what you've done, Christ will come to you and He will guide you. He will help you. He will lead you. So how many, in closing this morning, how many communities do you belong to besides the Sunday community at church? Where are you involved outside of the four walls of this service on a Sunday morning for Christ? And if not, I want to say to you this, this morning, then take responsibility and start a community somewhere. Start a community at your work. Start a community where you are, where you enjoy going, a gym. Start a gym community and invite some people to come and gym with you and start to reach people in the gym and invite those people to church. And what happens? You start to build community. You start to grow. Your faith gets challenged because that unbeliever is going to ask you a question. You're not going to be able to answer here. But when he asks you that question, a childlike question, you have to answer that question. It's like when our kids were small and you, you have the second child and the, the first child says, so mommy, how did that baby get there? And you go, um, um, um. Now you've got to explain to this child because they ask questions and you have to answer. And sometimes when people ask faith questions, you have to go and read your Bible actually to get an answer because you're not, you're not, you don't have to answer that when you're just walking through your life by yourself. But when a baby in Christ asks a question, we have to suddenly find an answer. And that's what grows you in your faith. Because when you teach, you learn. Are you here this morning? Stand your feet with me all over this place today. Bump your neighbor on your left hand side. Tell him I'm so glad you're here. Now tell that same neighbor, I'll always be here for you. Turn to the person behind you quickly. Tell him I'm so glad you're here. Tell the person in front, I'm so glad you're here. Tell him I'll always be here for you. Tell him you can phone me any time of the night. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll even sell my things for you. How much do you need? Pastor, how can you say that? Look at the screen. Acts chapter 2 verse 44, the Bible says, And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything with each other, selling their possessions and dividing with those in need. Oh, yeah. Those things you can't take to heaven with you. All those big things you own. Somebody can need it. You can use it this morning. If only you'll just have a, a, a Christ revelation and get rid of some of the stuff that you're hoarding up that moth and rust will eat. Some, some of you need to clean out your garages this week and some of you need to clean out your cupboards this week. And some of you need to clean out some of the stuff and give it away to somebody who can use it. They need it now. Not one day when you might need it. You don't even use that stuff. You haven't looked at that stuff in six years. Give it away and watch what God will do. Listen to what the Bible says. And they worship together regularly. Listen, at the temple at CRC, Cape Town. And they met in small groups, in homes for communion. And they shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. Praising God and the whole city, listen, was favorable to them. It's through community that favor comes upon our life. And each day God added to them all who were being saved. I pray this morning the message has spoken to your heart. I pray this morning you'll make that intentional decision in your heart to say, Jesus, I've maybe been sitting on the sidelines of your church and your kingdom. And I want to put up my hand and I want to take a responsibility for your kingdom somewhere in this, this year. Don't just be an, a, a, a Christian that hears but never does. Be that Christian that gets involved. Be actively involved. Amen. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're the person, you're saying, I've never had communion with God. I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to give you a moment and we're going to worship for a few seconds just to open up the atmosphere of faith. And whatever your prayer is this morning, wherever you find yourself today, I want to say to you, welcome here. 
I want to say to you this morning, the Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll open up your heart this morning, Christ will come in. I want to say to you this morning, don't leave the service. Don't log off now online because it's coming to the end of the service. Don't leave the service thinking, I must. What you must do this morning is receive the finished work. It's a free gift. Just receive your salvation this morning. Say, yes, I'm going to put my faith in the finished work. And as I receive Christ, I'm going to start to change. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself any better. You can only look at the one who is perfect. And as you look to him, you will become better. Thank you for listening to this powerful message. If your life was impacted in any way and you would want to connect to any of our CRC churches worldwide, then please go visit our website at crccapetown.co.za and click on the Plan a Visit tab. Thank you for listening.